And a welcome on in. It is overtime with Jonathan Pino. I'm glad you guys could be with me here on this Wednesday. It's going to be a little bit of a weird show. Not only is it weird because we started eight as opposed to seven, that always makes things just a little bit different, but it's going to be weird because we're going to do a lot with the Guardians, but that game has to end in order for us to do so. We have Daryl Ryder at 9 o'clock. We'll talk about the Brownies. We'll get to the Dame trade in a second. I just, I find it fascinating that I, I might have misjudged, might have misjudged by a little bit the amount of attention maybe this Guardians game would have on itself. It's weird anytime anyone is doing their last home game and then they're going to retire and step away. And it's a, it's a weird situation, especially when it's a manager, so you can't even see them come to the plate. And then everyone's eyes are on them. It's like, how are we paying attention to Tito? Oh, you mean he's strolling out to the center of the the mound to go ahead and make a change from one starting pitcher to a reliever? Do we give him an applause now? Like when do we when do we do this? He get a curtain call before the game? Does he make a big speech after the game? Do they have to win in order for him to make this big speech if a big speech happens? It's a weird setup. Admittedly, it's a weird setup. Why I feel a little odd about it is I'm looking at the game right now. And I'm seeing a bunch of people in attendance. At least it looks like a bunch of people in attendance. Now, I got uh, I got Jake over there. He's scouting out what the attendance actually is for today's uh, you know game. But I just I got to admit something, to you guys, out of the gate. Coming downtown, I got into a lot of traffic. And one of the beautiful things about Cleveland, I've always said this, is that Cleveland doesn't really have traffic. Something has to be going on. Something of importance, especially if it's downtown, but really in general, something has to be happening in order for traffic to happen. You don't just have it materialize like uh, I do at, at my hometown in Chicago growing up, where it was like if it hit 2 o'clock, you were stuck for two hours. It just was what it was. Awful. Just awful. And I love that about Cleveland. I love that about Cleveland. The reality is, is I came in, and I had a 15-minute delay in getting to my parking garage, which is a whopping seven-minute walk from where I work. And I thought it was for the Guardians. It was a Peter Gabriel concert tonight. Peter Gabriel. I looked online. These tickets are not going for a bunch of money. But it seemed like a consensus between Keith and everyone else I talked to about this, that Peter Gabriel is why there was a massive traffic jam all around downtown. I, and I, here's the part I feel bad about. I, I had no idea who Peter Gabriel was. I know a lot of you guys are like, Jonathan, you don't know Peter Gabriel. Listen, I'm not music stupid. I'm not music stupid. And I know the more I say I'm not music stupid, the less you believe that I'm anything but music stupid. I got a big range with country music. I got a big range with hip-hop. I got a big range with pop music. I got a pretty decent range. Peter Gabriel's a blind spot for me. I know Genesis. I do. But I, you could have given me a million dollars, and I never would have come up with Peter Gabriel as the front man. Never would have happened. Not in a million years. So anyway, I guess I missed out. So I don't know. I'm having a hard time gauging this one. I don't know if people are really downtown right now for I there might even there's another something going on over there. I have no idea what people are downtown for. I have zero idea. I don't know. I'm gonna have to judge this based off of you guys and how interested you are in what is going to be a seventy win Guardians team in Tito coaching his last home game. Is that interesting to you guys? I mean we're gonna make it interesting, I promise you. We're gonna have all sorts of different Guardians conversations around it. But whether we take that one segment or whether we take that for two hours, I guess you'll let me know if you're more interested in Peter Gabriel. Here I am thinking, I'm like, man, Guardians got themselves a win. People showed up. They really want to support Tito. Maybe they just love the free T-shirts. I don't know. But they really want to support Tito. 
And you turn around and it's like, no, it might be the, the Peter Gabriel effect of all things. Okay. And then, of course, everyone here at the radio station uh, acting as if... Now, Michael, you were very nice about it, so I'm not including you in this. Uh, but everybody else acting like me not knowing Peter Gabriel is like me not knowing a Beatle or something. It's Peter Gabriel. Like, let's be honest about it. The dude is not... That's not an A-lister. I can get made fun of for not knowing musical things. I'm fine with that, but that's not an A-lister. Yeah, I would consider him more of a B-list musician. Yeah, and that might even be generous. But you're the music, you're the music guy, not me. So I'll I mean, he's in the on. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Genesis. I mean, so on. and he was the front man, and he also had arguably the most popular music video of all time. It's the most popular of all time. Sledgehammer. I'll have to look it up in between the break. It's a pretty wild music now, video. Now that oh oh, what happens in the music video? Oh, not no, nothing like that. Nothing like oh, R-rated. Okay. Or anything. okay. It's like, what's the music, just vid- far what's out. music video where the, the girl dances on top of the car? I thought that was the most popular of all time. Tawny Katane. Yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. White Snake, Here I Go Again. White Snake, Here I Go Again. Come on, that's it. Like, I mean, I, I thought that was the most popular, but. Uh, she, again, later, uh, she later beat up know. former Indians pitcher Chuck Finley with a high heel. My people tell me he had it coming. That's, that's my boots on the ground told me uh, that, that Chuck, Chuck had that one coming. I've never seen anyone get boots to the nose. And not have it coming, though, if I'm being honest about it. just It seemed like a toxic relationship. Yeah, yeah. I kind of actually really love that. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's a that's a D-list version of a, a really impressive relationship. If only MTV or E! were documenting real-life relationships at that time. I mean, we have the Pam and Tommy documentary. Where's our Chuck Finley? And what is her name? Tawny Katane. Yeah, where's that? Where's that combo? That's the one that we need made yesterday. That Pam and Tommy documentary is pretty good. All right. Anyway, we're going to get to the Guardians a little bit later on. We're going to start with you guys a little bit different uh, because I feel like we've done so many things with the Browns in this week in particular, and, and we've got more Browns conversations coming. I just There's a couple big picture things I want to get to in regards to this Dame trade. And I think some of it impacts the, the entirety of the NBA, and I think some of it impacts the Cavs. But I, I kept thinking about, you know, one day I filled in with Dustin on Afternoon Drive, and they had their buddy George Sedano on. And when he wasn't giving out tequila advice... He was trying to give out advice on the NBA. And I remember I had just done a couple of national shows. I did like two and three days for CBS Sports Radio. And so, and like at that point, Dame was the conversation. That was right when we realized that Dame was not going to be playing for Portland despite having four years and $200 million remaining. The reality was is that Dame wanted out and Dame was going to get out. And I, I, I kept looking at Miami because that was the spot that he really wanted to go to. I made up a, a different case for Philadelphia, a couple other teams I could have brought into the mix, and I think I did bring up Milwaukee at one point. But the reality was I asked George, I said, George, are we sure he's going to Miami? Because it doesn't make sense for Portland. I couldn't find the right fit. And what George told me that day, and he told Dustin and all of you guys that were listening as well, was that this is how the NBA works. Player wants to go somewhere. Player gets to go somewhere. Case closed. You don't have to think too hard about it. That's the reality. And I, it just it never sat right with me. It never sat right with me. You got to make the trade work. Even Anthony Davis going to Los Angeles, they still were able to make the trade work. Ingram, Ball, Picks, everything else attached to it. You have to make the trade work for both parties. It's odd that I was sticking up for Portland in the whole ordeal, but I had to stick up for Portland. I thought Dame was a good reminder not to be too loyal to any one thing or any one place. You know, be loyal to your significant other. That's fine. But never be too loyal to your company. I thought he was a reflection of how today's society really does operate in a way. And that the moment that 
they think there's greener pastures out there. They're just going to up and leave you. That's the reality. So it's a, it's a flaw that I think I have as a human is that I'm entirely too loyal. Most people in my position, in my situation, it, it wouldn't be going the way that it's currently going, okay? But, again, loyalty's worked out for me. I'm fine with it. It's a trait that I have. It is what it is. But the Dame case was a good reminder, I thought, not to be too loyal to any one thing or one place. You know, Derek Carr, a year ago, said he would rather not play football than play for another team that isn't the Raiders. I don't even blame Las Vegas. He's won as many playoff games as I have in my life. But his commitment to the Raiders was met with being told to grab some bench with games still left to be played. And I was saying all this because in my mind, I genuinely did think what Portland was going to do was going to send him to basketball Siberia. It didn't matter. Portland had to look out for Portland in this equation. I was convinced of it. They have a GM. Yes, he'd been there in the franchise for a decade, but he'd only been the GM for about a year and a half. He's trying to cut his teeth. He's trying to make sure they got Scoot Henderson, third overall pick. They have a really young, good, up-and-coming team, couple years down the line. Why would they throw that all away in order to try to appease Dame Lillard? That was my thought process. And I had some people clap back. And some people went down the road in the idea that you have to take care of people like Dame. And the reason why a lot of NBA players end up getting taken care of is because it signifies and signals something to the rest of the NBA that if you go there, they'll take care of you when it's time to be taken care of. That's ridiculous to me. Absolutely ridiculous to me. And on top of it, listen, I know how valuable Dame was. Aaron is. He's a top 75 player all time. He's the third player in franchise history to be named to an all-NBA team. He's an Olympic gold medalist. He has accomplished a ton for Portland. He didn't win him an NBA championship. And ultimately, if Dame doesn't want to come back to the retirement ceremony a decade from now, then so be it. Let it go. It'll be all right. So many uh, Lions fans, they get upset. They're like, oh, you know, Calvin Johnson doesn't love us anymore. Calvin Johnson, this ended horribly, and and we we don't get to see Calvin Johnson on Sundays because he hates Detroit after they bickered over a million-dollar bonus that they asked back for. All right. Okay, fine. Dumb reason, but okay, fine. That's what Detroit thought. Then all right. If Portland thinks they can make out better, then okay, fine. I'd say in this scenario, though, what's interesting is that Dame didn't get to the spot that he wanted to. Wanted Miami. He wanted to be, you know, he has his music scene and everything like that. Obviously, we know about the nightlife. We know about everything attached to it. He's got a a friendship with Jimmy Butler. He he likes and thinks Eric Spolstra is one of the best head coaches in the NBA. He wanted Miami. But in Milwaukee, he gets a situation that, yeah, all right, Milwaukee doesn't have the greatest nightlife in the world. I'm not here to take cheap shots at at Milwaukee. Uh, Coming from someone, I actually have spent a weekend in Milwaukee to, to... hang out and drink and have a good time. It's not bad. It's fine. They got a lot of chain restaurants, a lot of chain bars. It was a very okay time. All right? That's what I'll say about Milwaukee. And I'm sure Dame in the nightlife is going to have a very okay time. But they didn't send him to basketball Siberia. They didn't send him to a team where he wouldn't have a shot. Instead, they sent him to a team now that had the fourth best odds to win the NBA title, and now it moves to being the number one best odds to win the NBA title out of the East. Like, what are we doing here? They took care of Dame in a way that should be more than satisfactory. 
The other thing that comes out of this is the Giannis equation. Giannis, and this one might have gotten by you guys, Giannis did an interview about a month ago. And in this interview, he mentioned, quote, I would not be the best version of myself. I don't know that everybody's on the same page. Everybody's going for a championship. Everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. And if I don't feel that, I'm not signing. He had one year to make up his mind about whether or not he wanted to stay in Milwaukee. And the threat that he gave the Bucks was, you got to give me a serious contender. And if you don't, then I'm walking. Do you expect something like that from Donovan Mitchell? If this is going to be the new NBA, where people like Giannis make these type of threats to their teams, and the team has to actually pony up or they're gone, what if Donovan tomorrow said, same thing, I want to make sure you guys are out for a championship and not just developing Evan Mobley. If you guys want me to sign here long term, I'm fine with Evan Mobley, but we got to do this thing. we got to microwave this process. I'm getting older every day. got to make sure that I get this thing done. What would you say? Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. We'll continue on with this. We'll do the Browns in a little bit as well. Daryl Ryder, and of course, when the Guardians wrap up, we'll talk about the Guardians. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on the fan. All right, back out of here on the fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterman. Talking a little bit about the Dame trade. We'll get into the Browns in just a moment, but I thought the whole thing was fascinating. I thought Portland did what they had to do, and then Dame doesn't end up in some sort of basketball hell situation. He ends up in a spot where he all of a sudden gets to compete for an NBA title. What am I, what am I missing here? You know, but all of a sudden, the NBA East becomes really interesting. But I think more important than that, because we pay attention to storylines, there are two things that stood out to me in this. Dame didn't get his wish. Dame wanted to go to Miami, and most of the time, George Sedano is right when he says that how many, how many deals in the NBA actually end up where the player gets to go and choose their spot and then they end up there? And when you had four years and $200 million left with Dame, you were rolling the dice that if you sent them to a situation that Dame wasn't pleased with, Dame could just, eh, not interested. Now, obviously, I think it's fascinating that Dame has not been the healthiest human in the world lately. He's missed 77 games over the previous two years, which is twice as much as he had missed in the previous decade. I don't know that you can necessarily rely on him, but when it comes to the East, the Milwaukee Bucks are now the heavy favorites. When it comes to the conference that the Cavs reside in, you got to think about what the Bucks are. And when it comes to Giannis, and this is point number two, and this is what we're getting at before the break, Giannis had been eligible for an extension. And I'm on his side. When it comes out and he's vocal about the idea that he needs to see the Bucks take this uh, take this time that he's there seriously, two league MVPs, he's been a Finals MVP, he won Milwaukee a title, he's done everything you'd want him to do, all the while being an upstanding member of the community. He's the poster child for foreign players being drafted to a team and then staying in the same place for years. Luka, Jokic, what happens with Giannis matters for all of those guys. But the idea was that in 2023, you get the same exposure playing for Milwaukee as you do playing for Miami with all the cable deals. Now this is all set up. You know, LeBron paved the way for that, really, in reality. But Giannis is the guy that has stayed the entire time so far, but has done it for the foreign players in my mind. But you can't have you in your prime and the team treating those years like every year 
is anything short of an all-in year. In the NBA, there isn't a chicken in every pot. Only a handful of teams have a Giannis-level player, one that instantly makes you a contender, even if you put four dudes from the park alongside him to play. Giannis going out and speaking about the idea that if they don't get him a mega star attached to the Bucks, then he's going to be gone. And I feel like I'm on one of those like anti-work Reddit boards right now, but Giannis is right. I'm an old-school worker. We talked about my loyalty to companies, even though I understand if you don't stab them, then they're, you know, they're going to stab you at some point. I get that. My generation has done a good job of understanding that your life isn't your work. I think I've gotten better with that since having a child, but I've never been anything but understanding of the athlete that feels like the, t- the team that they're on, if they're not trying their hardest to win at all costs, what are we doing here? He wants to be like Kobe and Dirk and play with one team the entire time. It's admirable. But the question I had for you guys, because Donovan Mitchell isn't in that same situation, but Donovan's coming up in a situation where eventually Cavs fans are going to have to try to figure out what exactly his wants and needs are. Does he want to play alongside Evan Mobley, or does he really want to get rid of uh, some of the other pieces? Mobley's obviously a treat. I think he enjoys Garland as well. Is he upset that Jared Allen is on this roster still? Is he upset that Max Struess is the highlight of what the Cavs did this offseason? I guess that'd have to be the question that I would have. If you're Donovan Mitchell, how much closer to the mountaintop do you feel like the Cavs put you in some of the moves that they've made this offseason? Because Giannis went out there and vocally undressed Milwaukee. I, I mean, he did everything he could to tell them, if you don't do right by me, I'm going to be gone. And I find it incredibly fascinating because the threat worked. It does, it's very rare that it happens, right? But sometimes if you're the big dog on campus, if you're the big man in your business, you can make some of those threats and sometimes it does work. You know, I mean, it, there are people that can do it and there are people that can't. Is Donovan Mitchell one of those players that if he went to the Cavs and said, listen, I need another superstar to play along with. I don't care how you get it done. I like Mobley. Obviously, he's not going anywhere. But if you got to get rid of Garland, if you got to get rid of Allen, you got to—I don't care who you get rid of. I need another superstar. This isn't working. I'm wasting my prime years. I'm 26, going on 27 now. I'm wasting my prime years here in Cleveland. We're not winning as much as a stuffed animal these days. I—I I, I need something more. It's not that I was promised anything more. I was traded here, but I need something more. You think the Cavs would say okay? Or do you feel like the Cavs would show him the door? Giannis obviously is finding out today that he's one of these players, that he can make these demands, and they're going to get met. But I wonder what the ripple effect of all this is. And I truly wonder what this is going to mean for the rest of the East. How this shakes everything up is so fascinating to me. 216474 to below 92. But this was a big win. Big win when it comes to Giannis. And I love that this is a big win for you guys, the fans, as well. This should be the mentality that fans respect the most. Not enough teams go all in. Not enough teams push all the chips in the middle of the table. Not enough teams consistently go to the brink to try to make sure that they're trying to win. They all try to rebuild at some point, and then you end up in situations where Steph Curry is on a roster that misses the postseason when he's still capable of winning a title, evidenced by him winning a title two years later. And it all just sucks for fans sometimes. But Milwaukee fired their head coach. They re-signed Middleton. Made a big splash play now. I can respect it. 
I can respect the fact that they at least honored the idea that they have one of the best players on planet Earth, and they shouldn't take that for granted. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. John in Cleveland up next on the fan. Hello, John. What's up, Jonathan? Um, no, Donovan isn't one of those players who can do that. First off, he was that trade when the Cavaliers traded for him. That was them microwaving the process to get this Cavs team closer to a championship. For Donovan to come to them and say, well, if hypothetically, now he hasn't done this, but in your scenario, for him to go to the Cavs and say, yeah, I need more, Donovan, you were more. We traded a lot to get you. That's why you're here. Hmm. So he should just be satisfied is what you're saying? I didn't say he should be satisfied. I'm just simply saying he was that move. And if he does come at me, I'm going to show him the tape from the New York Knicks series and say, you want more, <laughs> do more. Do more, exactly. Thank you, John. I appreciate you, man. Take care, man. All right, you too. Yeah, John's not wrong. He's not wrong. You can always rewind. Uh, pick any game out of the first five. And what we, we had one good game from Donovan Mitchell in that entire series. Jeez, it's even worse for Garland. It was even worse for... Really, I mean, that's just a bad series. There's just no other. I can't put lipstick on that pig. It was not good. You guys know it wasn't good. What happens if Donovan Mitchell makes the Giannis-esque move where he goes to the New York Times, lays it out there, and says, hey, I need more pieces or I'm gone in a year, puts the expiration date on the table and says, this is what I'm doing. I find the entire thing fascinating. But there's two things out of this whole entire move that really has kind of shaken me to my NBA core that you typically just don't see. The first, Dame not being able to call out his shot because NBA players typically get to call out where they want to go, and then Giannis actually getting the demand that he asked for. I'm seeing that clip, the highlight going around where Giannis at the All-Star game picks out Damian Lillard, number one overall, and LeBron's like, we know who he's going to pick. We know who he's going to pick. And then it's like, uh, Damian Lillard. And then LeBron's like, yeah, told you. Obvious. Giannis had been planning this one for a while. He's like the, uh, since now everyone's in their Taylor Swift catalogs these days, she's got a song called Mastermind, where it basically just gives herself a bunch of credit for being a mastermind and forming a relationship. Giannis is mastermind. That's all he did. He masterminded the whole entire situation. He's like, I plucked you out years ago, months ago, and I watched it all come to fruition. And how did it get there? It started by me threatening the Bucks publicly to do what I say. There's a reason why 75 Antetokounmpo's are on that roster. Am I wrong? I mean, it's not a it's no surprise. Everyone that's related to Antetokounmpo has a spot on Milwaukee's roster. This is what you're supposed to do. This is where this is where NBA players typically get catered to. And I know it, it, it has a weird effect that because of these type of situations, the player empowerment side in the NBA has never been greater. But on one side of the coin, you got Dame not getting his wish. And on the other side of the coin, you got Giannis actually getting everything he asked for and then some. I can't tell if it's a banner day for player empowerment or if it's a sad day for player empowerment. There's a cutoff line there, and I feel like Donovan Mitchell's not above that cutoff line, though. And I think that's kind of what John was getting at. All right. Ross Tucker. Sorry, I had some NBA thoughts. It's been a while since we even talked about the NBA. Can I be honest? How long has it been since we talked about the NBA on this show? I feel like it's been a long time. Maybe a month? Maybe a month and a half? Maybe longer. It's been a while, had it not? It's been a while. And I like talking the NBA. I do. I just, you got to give me something to talk about. If you don't, it's weird. The NBA offseason is typically, it's such a dynamic force of just a media storm left and right. And the NBA offseason just went to a screeching halt. 
I was going back and looking at some of my notes from Damian Lillard when I did the CBS shows, and I was I was highlighting different things, and I was figuring out you know where my thoughts were at the time, and I was like, wait a second, Dame, I like at the bottom at the very bottom of the conversation that I was having, I wrote down how NBA fans are going to be mad that Dame once again controls the narrative for another off season because it's been like three off seasons in a row where we'd have a million Dame discussions and nothing actually happened, even though this time it felt like something was going to happen. Usually, they just dominate the entirety of uh, the entire summer, and then right up until the time you get to media days and everything else, it's been awfully quiet on the home front. We got we got media days on Monday for the Cavs. Monday? I don't even know that there's anything the, the Cavs could possibly say that would even get me to talk about them uh, then, not during Brown season, and not with Guardians and Tito right there. Hey, try your best, though. Throw me some quotes. Try your best. You, you know, I, I, I've been given a lot of people on the station a lot of crap for their, their ideas that the Browns have to show them something before they buy into it. In my mind, you can only go to that well so many times. You're going to be like, hey, you have to show me something before I buy into it. Defense has to show me something before I buy into it. Deshaun Watson's got to show me something before I buy into it. I just think it's like the worst way to do sports talk radio. Not that anybody needs my advice on that. I just feel like, you know, in the in this space, what is asked of you in this space is to, most of the time, tell people how you feel. Saying I got to see them prove it to me is not really saying how you feel. Because if you say I got to prove it to me, that means you're really what you're saying is you're not buying into it. You're not there yet. Maybe you'll get there one day, but you're not there yet. When you flat out, just say that. In my mind, just say that, right? But I got a feeling Cavs discussions coming up here and Cavs discussions for the, I mean, really, it's going to be months on end. We'll be into January, likely, where a lot of you guys are going to be saying, hell, might even be into the postseason. The rhetoric around this Cavs year is going to be very simple. Show me something. I got to see it to believe it. And I'm going to get mad. I know I'm going to get mad because it's not the type of radio that I personally do. But I know I'm going to get mad at it. And it's a perfectly acceptable answer. It really, truly is. It's a perfectly acceptable answer by you Cavs fans to tell me, maybe not radio hosts, but from you Cavs fans to tell me, I, I got to see it. I got to see it first. I can't buy into it. I got to see it. But I don't know what that means. I know what that's. I know what that truly means. What that truly means is that you don't 100% Trust the Cavs. Sometimes I wish you'd just come out and say it. But that's where I'm at right now to start the season. I don't trust this Cavs team right now. It's, it's going to take a lot for this Cavs team to show me that they're different than the one that the, the, the lights were too bright for. It's going to take a lot. And they were so fun to watch during the regular year. I just don't know that I can get into it the same way. All right, running to the Browns in just a little bit. Uh, Guardians game is about to wrap up here. They're up 4-3 to three in the ninth. Assuming nothing else happens... Guardians are going to get this win. We'll start talking about Tito. We'll get your thoughts as well as Tito's last home game is wrapping up there over at Progressive. 216474 to below 92. Daryl Ryder coming your way at 9 o'clock. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on the fan. But first, let me tell you about my friends over there at Classic Chevy. And really, when I talk about Classic Chevy, what I'm trying to tell you there's nothing to decode here i'm trying to tell you uh not only are they great people not only are they exceptional 
at what they do, they have your best interest at heart as well. You can shop Classic Chevrolet's high-quality inventory and special incentives like this great offer. At least a 2024 Chevy Equinox LS for $2.99 per month for 36 months. It is Jonathan Peterlin here for Jeremy Hamilton and the entire team at Classic Chevrolet in Mentor. Shop in person at the Classic Flagship Dealership. Uh, you guys know where it is, Route 615 in Mentor. Or you can view their entire inventory of new and certified pre-owned Chevys online at driveclassicchevy.com. That's driveclassicchevy.com. Chevrolet by New Roads. All righty, back out of here on The Fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterwin. we got Daryl Ryder coming your way at 9 o'clock. Guardians game just wrapped up five to four, or excuse me, four to three of the final. Guardians over the Reds right there. And you know what? Screw the Peter Gabriel crowd for a second. Not not the crowd that are going. They're very nice people, I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of sports radio listeners. It feels like the right demographic for that. But I just, uh, uh, I listen, I, I took a lot of flack for not knowing who Peter Gabriel is, and that's fine. He's not in my music repertoire. I, I've learned. I learned something today. I now know who he is. Lead singer of Genesis, wildly popular at the time, very cutting-edge music video. I, I got it. I got it down. But to suggest that he was the reason why the crowd was here, I'm not buying that. Downtown was rocking for Tito. 28,915 for a 74, now 75 win ball club in the last home game of the season. I'm sorry, that's really good numbers. That is, the crowd showed up for Tito. And I don't know if they showed up for Tito because they wanted to go ahead and say, uh, you know, as the shirt suggests, thanks, thanks for everything, Tito. Or what, what, what did the shirt say? Some It was something like, did you say thanks, Tito? I think thank you, Tito. Thank you, Tito? That was the best we could do on a T-shirt? Thank you, Tito? <laughs> Why is that? I mean, listen, I you know, how many, you know how much advertising money is spent on those type of situations? And like making sure that, I guess it, it gets the point across, does it not? It works because it gets the point across. I guess sometimes the simplest answer is the easiest answer. Uh, Occam, Occam's razor. But either way, they get him a victory tonight. They get him a win. J-Ram has the two hits in the game. Really the storyline, and I don't know that there's much of a storyline for a team that's going for 75 wins, win number 75, is that Shane Bieber and what might have been his last start as a guardian absolutely dealt. He was awesome. He was they had no, six innings, one earned run, five hits. We'll get you all the post-game reaction. We'll get what Tito had to say. We'll get what J-Ram, we'll get what uh, Bieber, all these guys, what they had to say in playing in the last home game for Terry Francona. Before the game got underway, he did two different curtain calls. He did do uh, what I believe to be was some sort of acknowledgement after the game. I kind of wondered if they were going to put the mic out in the middle of the field. Bad reference for what I'm going for here. But like you know how like Lou Gehrig, for instance, Lou Gehrig, his, I'm, the, I'm the happiest man on the face of the earth. That whole speech that he gave, I was kind of thinking it was going to be something like that. And obviously, Lou's was way more dramatic than Terry Francona just saying, I'm walking away from baseball. But I was thinking like that, like the microphone out there at home plate, Tito would come out, address the crowd. And you could tell the crowd kind of thought the same thing as well. They were just kind of sitting around after the game ended. And I don't know what they thought was going to happen. But obviously, Tito never came out to address it. But that kind of goes in line with what Tito was really portraying throughout this entire endeavor. He didn't want the attention on himself, right? He wanted to make sure that uh, it was on the players. The focus was on the players. It was not about him, and it was not about him leaving. Kind of felt like the whole ordeal became a little subdued up until about 48 hours ago. And again, 
I'm happy that 29,000 people made their way out to the ballpark. But up until about 48 hours ago, it's not like we were talking about Terry Francona in his last home game as if it was some big monumental thing. And I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out from you guys, 216-474-092. Big deal, little deal, no deal. I mean, I guess this is the circle of life to a degree, right? You typically don't get baseball managers for 40 years. You get them for about a decade. If they're the really, really good ones. In sports in general, you get most coaches that are really, really good. You get them for 10 years. Every now and then you get a Belichick where they're there for 20. But that is such an outlier. It is such a rarity that you get anyone in any sort of professional sports position to be there for that long. Mike Tomlin, you know, it just doesn't happen. More likely what happens is what you saw with Andy Reid. Andy Reid in Philadelphia for a decade and then goes to the Chiefs, and now he'll be there for a decade. And, you know, maybe when Patrick Mahomes hits 30, 31, 32, he steps aside, says, I've had enough, and goodbye. It's actually very similar to what you saw with Tito in his own career. Tito in Boston won two World Series and then got canned for a chicken and beer clubhouse incident. But really the reason why is because they wanted to get a new face in there, get someone fresh in there. That's typically the arch, the arc, excuse me, that sports teams take. Get somebody new in there, get a new voice in there, mix it up a little bit. And I'm kind of impressed that Guardians fans, you're taking the approach of this with a lot of significance attached to Terry Francona leaving. And I guess I'm a little surprised, but I'm impressed with the understanding that you didn't ask for a new culture. You didn't ask for a fresh face. Nobody was clamoring for Tito to be kicked out the door. Even the biggest non-trusting Tito fans, and there were a few of them out there, were like, wait, no, we want our guy to be here for as long as he wants to be here. He might not be perfect, but he's definitely better than option A, B, C, or D. It was Tito's call. And I think ultimately, like we would want in our own lives, you want to be able to call when you get your retirement. You want to be able to call when you get to say goodbye, when the curtains get closed. And for Tito, he got that. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's a very beautiful thing that Tito was given that gift. Front office didn't push him out the door. Front office said, we'll do this year by year. And if your health continues to go down, you let us know when. Last off season, they said, we'll do this for the next five years. You just year after year, you figure it out. It's nice. Two one six four seven four to below 92. Carter in Cleveland up next. Hello, Carter. How's it going? What's up, man? I haven't called in in a while and, uh, kind of pondering my thoughts on whether I'm happy about Tito being gone um, on, on the game side of things. I think, like, culturally, he was great for Cleveland. I'm really not going to recognize this team without him. But I really am kind of glad. I think that we have a lot to offer now. I can account at least 15 losses of the season to, to his play calling. So I'm, I'm definitely excited for, for who we bring up now. I think it would probably be DeMarlo if I had a guess. But – I'm just excited for the future now, for sure. It's going to be exciting, and thank you, Carter. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, there's a lot of people, and you can even throw me in that group. He didn't make the best in-game decisions. He's not the best with what relievers to go to or who to pinch hit. And when he got his guys, well, boy, he got his guys. But he'll be remembered for being a cultural giant in the clubhouse. And I guess you got to ask yourself that question, how much do you think that matters? For some people like Carter, maybe not as much as other people that really buy into that logic. But today's not the day, I don't believe, 
to be even like, oh, I don't know about this Tito guy. Like, he proved it in two different spots for a very long time. He proved it in two different spots over 20 years. Now, obviously, would a World Series win? Would we think tonight might have mattered a little bit more? I don't know. But when he had his best teams, I would have loved a few more playoff wins. I'll say that. Tommy and Beachwood up next. Hello, Tommy. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Hey, Tommy. How's it going tonight? Good, man. Hey, uh, I'm on the opposite end of the equation of that guy, and there's two reasons. Uh, one, I'm pretty nervous as to who we're going to get because you're not you're not going to get Bochy. He's not leaving Texas. Robert is Roberts is not leaving L.A. And Dusty Baker is going to probably retire once he leaves Houston. In my opinion, and Council is probably not going to come here. Those are like the best managers in the game. So the caveat to that is, is that sure, if you had, you know, if you got some owners that you know are going to throw you a two hundred million dollar payroll, probably you or I can manage the team. But that's not the case, and that's what makes me nervous: is mm. the the owners what they're going to spend and who's going to manage this team? What are they going to look like in the future? So yeah, I'm I'm extremely nervous, man. I just got to be totally honest with you, buddy. You have a good night. Thank you, Tommy. Pr- appreciate your honesty as always. Uh, we'll react a little bit more to this, and uh, we'll get a little bit of a Browns convo in there with Daryl Ryder. He'll join us coming up next. Nine twenty. Be listening as well. We'll have Tito's entire post-game press conference. We'll see if he gets choked up. We'll see what he has to say. You want to listen to all that. Uh, We'll be here all night, and we'll be reacting to some of the Tito conversations as well with you guys. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on The Fan.